Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations. The podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not. But my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I chat to nutritionist, author and devoted new mum, Rosanna Davidson. So did all the injections, everything was fine. I think the day before I had the procedure there was, I mean, anyone who's done an egg stimulation procedure will know it is quite uncomfortable. And I was waddling around, bloated out, like I had bags of marbles in my stomach. Um, so it's quite an unusual sort of sensation. But in a way, I look back at that time in a fond way again, because I thought, yeah, I could feel Sophia, you know, Oh, wow, yeah. The egg that became the embryo that became Sophia. I carried her. I could feel them. I could, you know, I was bloated out. I could feel the, the discomfort. So I feel like in a, it was a tangible way of kind of feeling that she was in me for that time. I know she's been in me for my whole life, yeah. which is a lovely way to think about yes, it, it as is. well. But it was a much more sort of physical way of knowing she was in there. Rosanna is strong, incredibly honest and full of compassion. And her struggles are a reminder to all of us that we never really know what's going on in other people's lives. Around this time last year, we were working together and I've wanted to have this conversation with her for a very long time now. She lives in Dublin with her husband, Wes Quirk, and their baby daughter, Sophia. And in this episode, she shares her journey to motherhood from multiple miscarriages, years of tests, treatments and heartache to their decision to try surrogacy and the happiest moment of her life when her baby girl is finally in her arms. As you can imagine, we go to some intense places during this conversation, so please do check the show notes for any trigger warnings you may need to be aware of in advance. I started by asking her about her post on Instagram at the end of July last year, in which she revealed not only that she and Wes were going to be parents, but also how challenging the past few years had been for them, and that often, it's not a straight road to parenthood. 
I think I really wanted to capture that in the announcement and I, I suppose I took about two months to really write it and I updated it every few days and I was shaking as I posted it because I just thought, you know, this is, is so unknown for us. Um, it's something we've been working on and surrogacy is no easy journey. Um, believe me, it's a huge emotional, physical toll. Um, it took a long time to get to where we were when I posted that at the sort of, I think, 23-week mark with Sophia. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it had been a long journey for us so far. So the support and the love really was overwhelming and so appreciated. And hopefully it just opened up the conversation a little bit more for people as well. Yeah, because at that time we were getting ready to... Um Judge Ladies Day at yes. the Galway Races. And I remember a few weeks previ- previous, we did a, a photo shoot kind of promoting the event. And obviously at that stage, I had no idea mm. what was going on in your life. But the week later, we were in Galway. I remember you sitting down having chats with so many different women that day. And mm. I was just, what I really observed about you was how kind and giving you were to so many women that came up. Either they were saying, well done, congratulations. And I know a lot of them were opening up to you. Um, about their own struggles and you were you were present with all mm. of them which I just I was I was watching you going you're a special kind of human and I really mean that I think you're I think a lot of people um, are now seeing the type of person that you are that maybe for years we didn't we didn't get to see that mm. as much as we know that you are now you're you're very open and and you're very kind. Thank you very much. Um, just to go back to the first part of what you just said about that yeah. shoot we did on, I think it was the 1st of July That's last right. year. Yes. I had actually just got the results of Sophia's 18 week scan in that day. So I'd seen our baby for the first time. It was the first oh, wow. time we'd got this special type of 4D um, scan. So I could see her features. I mean, she's teeny weeny still at 18 weeks. But I was trying to, you know, conceal all that while being professional all day and go through um, our, our, our day. And we had a great day. It really mm-hmm. was um, a, a fun day um, launching the, you know, the Ladies' Day judging. But I suppose it is an example of what you said about you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. And, you know, I was there looking at my phone, looking at this picture of my baby inside a stranger thousands of miles away um, while trying to focus on the job as well. So... Um, yeah, you really, I think it's just so important to be kind to people. And then just back to what you said about, um, you know, talking to different women on the actual day of the, the judging of the Galway races. I just found so many women, actually, and men just came up to me and were very open about their own fertility struggles, maybe their IVF journeys, um, miscarriages. And I think once you put yourself in the position of, you know, revealing that part of your life or your struggles, then you become much easier to relate to. People do want to open up. I think I generally people yeah. want to talk about what's gone on in their lives, mm. but maybe they don't have the outlet or the confidence or, you know, they, they don't feel that maybe their story is worthwhile listening to when we all our stories are. Yes. You know, all our journeys are yeah, important. Absolutely, they are. So that was <laughs> this time last yes. year. But take us right back to five years ago when you and Wes, I suppose, like a lot of couples decide, will we try for a family? Yeah. Well, we got married in 2014. So by it was towards the end of 2015, we said, now, good time to start a family. I thought, you know, we're young, we're fit, we're healthy. Why wouldn't it happen? All around me, my friends were having babies, no problem. So I thought, you know, 
well, you know, by this time next year, we'll have, you know, a child. So I actually got pregnant very quickly. Um, I was delighted. Um, we told my family I couldn't contain my excitement. And also we were celebrating around that time my grandmother's 90th. Mm. And so people noticed I wasn't drinking the wine. So I did actually tell them I was only God, just over five weeks pregnant then. Yeah. Um, so they were delighted for me. It was all very exciting. And I had been to see my GP and I had my eight week scan books and everything looked fine, kind of hormone wise, um, had my bloods done, hormones look great. And then just suddenly out of the blue at about six and a half weeks, um, a miscarriage started. And I suppose anyone who's been through one, as I know you've spoken about yours, they're, I mean, traumatic, um, not to mention painful messy of course um mine happened quite late at night so we you know Wes sat up with me all night I was just lying on the bathroom floor just in floods of tears and pain and I suppose you just you don't really understand why it's happened to you or and um, nothing can prepare you for it when it happens the first time or the no. second time or the third time really but it is traumatic when it happens to you because it's not I think what you expect when you've been told everything is looking good. And I know it was early days. I mean, six weeks is, is very early on. A lot of people ask, at what week did you miscarry? And I find that unless you're volunteering the information, mm. I find it quite um, an inappropriate question mm. to ask because it's almost like saying, well, if you were at X amount of weeks, are your grand, get on with it. Yeah. But it's still the second. And I know any woman who has peed on that stick and it sees it's pregnant. The minute you're, you find out you're pregnant, you find out your due date, you plan yeah. everything, you get excited. And I think maybe from a medical perspective, until a pregnancy is clinically confirmed, there's a heartbeat, then they, you know, don't put too much emphasis on it. But for, for the woman involved, for us, it's our bodies. You know, it's, as you say, from the minute you pee on the stick and the minute you find out you're pregnant, you're feeling those hormones. Every yeah. cell in your body knows you're pregnant. Um, you know, I, I knew kind of from almost the second it implanted that I was pregnant, I just felt different. And, yeah. you know, you do, your mindset changes and it's probably the way we're biologically designed to kind of look to the future, to get excited, to think, you know, to go onto the due date calculator and think, okay, when, when will this happen? If fingers crossed, it all works out. So it's not built into us, I think at the beginning anyway, when you're first pregnant to think that something can, can go wrong. So it is a shock and it's emotionally traumatic. It's physically traumatic. Um, plenty of women, I was lucky actually, I had just complete miscarriages, but you know, plenty of women do have to have DNCs and other medical procedures, which again is, is physically demanding. There's a recovery involved. Yeah. And as you said, it is the situation where you imagine it's like in an instant you have created all of these images in your mind of life mm. with this little human. Mm. And then when you miscarry, that's wiped away. Mm. And it's it's very hard to get your head around. It's a very empty feeling. Um, I remember that first time thinking, you know, it's such a primal feeling to have a life growing inside you. And for that to just end suddenly is a literal, physical, emotional emptiness. And it does take a while to recover from it. And I'd always say to people, don't rush the healing process. You know, it takes a while to come to terms with it. Um, it you know, do whatever you need to do to kind of heal from it. Um, maybe don't rush into getting pregnant again if if you don't want to, but do what is right for you. And it's it's individual for every woman. Yeah. 
that you know to take the time to heal um what 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 I have spoken about um earlier this year was that I had <laughs> multiple consecutive miscarriages but um that first time we I think we took a month off trying and then we started trying again and you know I was always lucky in the sense that we got pregnant very quickly but continually time after time I would have these miscarriages at around the six week mark um, and it went on through kind of 2016 2017 until I'd had about 14 I think in a row um, but you do become strangely I wouldn't say numb to it but it became just what I would expect every time I'd find out I was pregnant and you know I went through I went through an awful lot of um sort of medically I went through a lot of um attempts to try and make my body sustain each pregnancy and each time I'd find out I was pregnant I would try a different medical approach um with my doctor I saw I think five different specialists between Ireland and the UK and I tried everything from um, high-dose corticosteroids. Cause sorry, just to go back, we found out through a series of tests. I mean, I had every test done kind of under the sun you can think of, starting with, you know, hormone levels, um, karyotyping, which is the type of genetic testing for you and your partner. Um, you know, I had things like thyroid done, AMH to check um, egg reserves. I mean, anything you can think of, I pretty much had it done. Blood coagulation, blood tests all the time. And eventually, in I think middle of 2017, it was discovered that I had uh, an immune system issue where my immune sy system was kind of significantly imbalanced so that it was always in a fight mode. Um, and it was well, what my doctor explained was recognizing Wes's DNA as a foreign invader and fighting it off as if it would a virus or a bacteria. So it's so, almost like your immune system was so, so supercharged. Yeah. It was it was it was so strong. It was almost too strong, too strong. And I was always thinking, oh, God, I'm, I'm one of these lucky people who doesn't really get sick very often. And, you know, I would never really get colds. And I probably had flu once in 15 years kind of thing. Yeah. So I always thought, gosh, I'm just very lucky that um, I have a healthy immune system. But I didn't know quite how healthy it was. Yeah. Um. so, yeah, so I tried to bombshell. So when you got that. <laughs> yeah. news. But in a way, it was a relief as well to get some sort of. Mm. diagnosis or some sort of answer to why I just could not sustain a pregnancy past um, the six, six and a half week mark. And I couldn't understand, you know, how can I get pregnant so quickly, but not carry it any longer? And, um, you know, so after all these tests kind of throughout 2016, kind of the last set of tests I did were these Chicago blood tests. It was just sort of the last, last thing they were looking at. And we found, we found something. So after that, then I was able to, as I said, try out various medical approaches. So as I said, from high dose corticosteroids, if anyone's been on steroids before, they do have unpleasant side effects. And um, no matter how careful you are with kind of food or exercise, you do begin to start getting the bloated look on your face and abdomen. Um, so I found that was starting to happen to me and that's you know quite tough when you're taking medication um, mm. what else I did these intravenous drips so a nurse would come to the house and I'd sit on my sofa and you know she'd insert a needle in my arm for I think it was two hours um, and this was again designed 
to suppress my immune system. So everything I was doing was designed to suppress my immune system. Um, I was taking injections called Humira, which are designed for you know, serious inflammatory conditions such as rheumatoid arth- arthritis and Crohn's. And again, that was designed to suppress my immune system. And all it really did was just give me mouth ulcers and headaches. And so when I went back then to, you know, check the results of the medication and see if they'd been working, they had worked, but not enough to, I was told, to sustain a pregnancy. Okay. So this was going on, yeah, in 2017. Um, And it got to a point then... I guess in early 2018 where I'd really exhausted every option. Um, I'd been told that, you know, IVF isn't really a feasible option for me because the getting pregnant part wasn't the difficult part. Sure. And I know what happens anyway when I get pregnant. So I was told it would probably be a bit of a waste of time. Um, So I really, I was advised that surrogacy would probably be um, our best option. And it was getting to a stage as well where, you know, we were emotionally exhausted from it and the impact of the medication was taking its toll, of course, as well. You can't really keep on filling your body with drugs in the hope that something will work. And I think it's an important point because a lot of people probably listening, this could be this could be triggering little 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 buttons in them now Mm. because a lot of people have been on the journey of either IVF or whatever it is, mm. be it been through miscarriage or or whatever on their journey to becoming uh, a mother or father. And sometimes we beget, we become so single focused on this one thing that our own well-being and our own health mm. can sometimes suffer. And then the relationship, you know, there's a, there's a suffering of that, too. So there has to come a point when you say how like listening to you there, I mean, you tried everything. You did everything. We tried everything. And it's actually interesting you mentioned um, about focusing on the medical side because I did f- find that I focused so hard on the medical side, you know, in my spare time. I, I read so much of the literature and um, so much of the research into uh, re- repeat miscarriage and maybe immune system related issues. And unfortunately, the research isn't that high quality at the moment okay. um, because it's it's difficult to study. I mean, ethically, how can you study a, a sample size big enough of, of pregnant women? And, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. a, it's a, such a sensitive issue. Um, so I did a lot of work in that area, but possibly I didn't focus enough on my own emotional well-being during that time. I began the process in 2017 when we were just relentlessly, you know, following this path and not getting anywhere I began the process of preparing myself possibly for life without kids and I thought maybe this isn't for me maybe it's a sign it's not going to happen so I think you do begin the process in a way of of looking deep into yourself and thinking well what do I want from life is motherhood the be all and end all or can I be a very complete sort of fulfilled person without it And we, you know, as a couple and individually, me and Wes did look at that and think, well, you know, if parenthood doesn't happen for us, what what else do we want from life? And we agreed, you know, we'd travel the world and do all these things. So I think even... It's really important that you said that, I think, because there are plenty of people who who have gone on the fertility journey and and reached a conclusion that this is not going to happen for us. Yeah, I think that you, even though it was alongside our 
attempts to for me to have um, a baby myself, I think we still began that journey, um, you know, trying to figure out what we want from life and and what would happen if we didn't have a family. So I think it is important to consider that. And yeah. I think through 2017 onwards, I did a lot of work on myself, really figuring out who I am, what I want, you know, the, what you know what's your purpose what makes you happy kind of thing and I think it's important to do that regardless right. oh, big time. but you're you're sort of forced into a corner sometimes on a fertility journey that isn't working out and um it was it was worth doing and I'm, I'm glad it happened that way when you said there earlier on that when you got pregnant it was almost as if you expected it not to work out mm. uh, that really I really felt that mm. um because obviously when if anyone has been in that position where you found out you're pregnant, you know, the initial reaction is usually one of joy and, you know, and but if you have been through miscarriage mm-hmm. and certainly um, I've had three pregnancies, I have one boy and I had two missed miscarriages and on this on my third pregnancy and my second missed miscarriage, uh, while I did feel happy, I also felt fear. Mm-hmm. What if this happens again? You do. I think no matter what, after you've been through the trauma, you just have to prepare yourself in a different way and it's it's normal I guess you're you're just sort of preparing yourself emotionally putting up a shield and making sure that you don't feel the same you know awful sense of loneliness and fear and trauma that you do maybe the first time around um although saying that I mean it's still incredibly disappointing and devastating whenever it happens but I think you yeah. do sort of emotionally shield yourself a little bit more as time goes on. It's not just the physical that we really do need to take our emotions and our thoughts into mm. consideration because they play a huge part in this, too. Mm. Um, so being aware of what you're saying to yourself, what language you're using, because oftentimes women in particular can go to blaming themselves. What mm. did I do? What did I do wrong? And oftentimes it has nothing to do with that. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point, actually, because for the first year and a half or whatever until we got the answers about my immune system I was blaming myself I was in this really negative cycle of thinking oh should I have done that gym session or should Mm. I have had that cup of coffee or you know this is all my fault I'm dysfunctional as a woman my body and not that I put everything as you know that I am as a human being into being able to procreate by any means but I did feel that my role as a maybe a woman and as a partner to Wes was to have a family with him. And I did make me make me question my role then as a woman, thinking if I've been born with all the biological equipment I need to have a baby and it doesn't work, it's, it's not functioning, then what am I? You know, what am I to him? And it's that awful guilt you feel towards your partner, um, knowing how badly Wes wanted to become a dad. Um, and I think the issue as well of looking at the the male side is a big one because you know we do focus so much on the female side of fertility both from Mm -hmm. a medical perspective but also from an emotional perspective but of course you know these were Wes's babies as well we were losing and he was very strong and supportive throughout and yeah couldn't have got through it without him he was brilliant but you know the focus was very much on how was I feeling? How was I doing? But, you know, people didn't ask him enough about how he was doing. Yeah. Um, and I think, unfortunately, he probably did bottle it up 
a little bit too much and I knew how desperate he was to have a baby and he was watching his friends have babies as well around him so it's just as tough for the partner um, having to, to go through that and to be the one to support um, somebody going through miscarriages you know to be the strong one really mm-hmm. to to hold everything together but also feeling devastated and I think as well as a couple you're obviously going through it together but I think as individuals you need to process it yourselves in your own individual way mm-hmm. and figure out how to get through that time um, together but as as individuals too um, which is why I suppose I've made the point this year um, so much about sh- sharing your journey with people who are close to you, people you can talk to in confidence and not to go through it alone as a couple because you really do need the support of friends or family while you're going through this. It's an incredibly lonely, traumatic, challenging time to go through a fertility struggle and, you know, to have close friends who can support you through it. It's just so important. So I would always appeal to people not to just as a couple keep it to yourselves Mm. you know do feel you need to reach out even whether it's a a support group whether it's anonymous um Mm. whether it's couples counseling you know whatever works for you but it is a big part of it I think to be able to speak about it yeah and for the past few months as well a lot of people's maybe fertility appointments and uh, IVF cycle Mm. or whatever they were doing could be put on hold so yeah this is an emotionally charged time for people Absolutely. Um, You know, my heart goes out to the couples who at the beginning of the year were preparing themselves physically, medically, emotionally for going through IVF or, you know, whatever fertility journey they're on, Um, because it is a huge thing to go through and to prepare yourself for and, you know, to go through the injections. I did the stimulation injections for my egg stimulation for surrogacy. So, you know, I know sort of how uncomfortable it is and how hormonally up and down you can feel in that time. Um, so it is a it's a big thing for couples to go through, um, obviously financially too. So then obviously when, when the pandemic hit and things closed down, you know, all those kind of feelings, you have to come down off all of that and put everything on hold and your dreams and hopes and everything on hold. Um, and like, I suppose, a lot of people in the fertility world and on their fertility journeys, you think at the beginning of every year, you know, every New Year's Eve or New Year's Day for a few years, I used to think this could be our year. You know, you get your hopes up and you think this could be our year that, you know, we have a baby and kind of, I think March, maybe mid to end March is kind of your last chance to get pregnant and have a baby within that calendar year. So that's obviously the time that Mm. lockdown hit this year. So for a lot of people hoping to uh, have their baby in 2020, it just... You know, their plans were cancelled. So sending lots of love and support to, to anyone yeah. in that situation. It's it's tough and it's it's only when you've been through it and that you can truly sort of understand. It's, yeah, it's one of those things it. that's hard to see if you're one of the lucky ones who just has your baby and, you know, there are no issues involved. Yeah, it's so. a very good point. Mm. So after... After 14 miscarriages, I mean, there's no easy way to say that, say that because it's almost hard for, for probably a lot of people, myself included, to get my head around that many disappointments. Um, and you had so many different tests done. And when did surrogacy become a real option for you guys? 
We had been playing with the idea maybe from late 2017 when it was becoming clear that the medical approaches we were taking weren't actually having the desired impact. Mm. Um, So it was early 2018. I was on to the the fifth consultant and they more or less said, you know, it's unlikely at this stage that you're going to be able to carry your own baby. And I think for you, because um, clearly you're fertile, Clearly, there's no issue with your egg reserves. Um, Wes's fertility, obviously, Wes had to go through all the tests as well. Um, sure. That we sometimes forget that men have to do the the sperm tests and um, genetic testing and all that kind of thing. So because all our tests had come back perfectly clear, there were no fertility issues per se there. Um, they just suggested that, you know, surrogacy could be um, a feasible option for us. So we toyed with the idea. And to be honest, I was horrified at the idea of a stranger carrying my child in a different country it's just a very strange concept to get your head around even though I've known I know people who've done surrogacy and had a very successful outcome it's still such a strange thing to consider um so we played with the idea for around a month and then just thought you know it's what we want so if this is our only option as advised by an expert then you know, maybe it's something we're going to have to look at. Well, I suppose, thankfully, you had very good news in the sense that, as you said, it seemed like you're, you had plenty of eggs and mm. they were of good quality yeah. and, and, and always good on Wes's side. So, I mean, yeah. that's great. A lot of couples, I suppose, are, are in a position where maybe there's an issue on one side or the other or both. Yeah. But at least you were coming to the table with, after all of the pain and trauma you'd gone through, at least there was that. Yeah. You know, this works. So I always So there is an option. Well, I always felt incredibly lucky that yeah, our actual fertility was not the issue. Mm. It was something else in, in my body that was preventing it because obviously there's so many variable variables involved in having a successful pregnancy and so many different parts have to come together at the yes. right time. So it was just this one thing sticking that wouldn't work. We couldn't change. So from then... I just started doing an awful lot of research into surrogacy. Actually, we started and I would advise any couple kind of starting off their surrogacy journey to hire a lawyer or at least seek the advice of a lawyer who deals in surrogacy law because in Ireland and abroad, because there's so much involved legally that you really need to know about before you decide on what country you're going to go to or what clinic you're going to use. So we did start in early, it was probably... March, Feb, March 2018, we spoke to a lawyer in Dublin and they advised us that for heterosexual married couples anyway, um, from Ireland, she's had a lot of successful outcomes with going to Ukraine. And she gave us a list of clinics and agencies that she has had clients, you know, using and been very happy with. So just from there, I sent a few emails and um, did a lot of research into it and and came up with the clinic in which we ended up using and um, from then it well I was sent kind of a long PDF document of all the requirements we need for a surrogacy before we can actually even sign the contracts and that was probably the longest um, most challenging part in a way because it took the best part of 2018 just to get through the various tests so more blood tests more scans um, because basically you need to be able to prove um, legally in Ukraine to the clinic that you are healthy enough to first of all first of all undergo the 
egg stimulation process through all the hormonal treatment, but also then to put your you know biological material into another human and not infect them with any infectious sure. diseases. Mm. So Wes and I had to go through um, a lot of a lot of tests, really testing for things like STDs, HIV, um, go through all our bloods. Um, I had to go through all the hormone tests. I had everything from um, lung scans. Um, I had breast scans, ovary scans. I mean, everything. I had blood tests for cancer markers, um, smears, you know, pretty much everything. Every yeah. part of my body was looked at. And in a way, it was great because it was like a full, yeah, full sort of um, health, health, check. health check. Yeah. But I can imagine while you're in it and you're doing all these testing, it must have been on top of what you had already gone through. Did it feel at the time like it was never ending? It did. And at the time in 2018, I was doing um, my full time master's degree. Yeah. So oh it goodness. was quite a lot to I take can't. on. I look back at 2018 as just being a shit show. Yeah, basically, yeah, 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 it was yeah, yeah. just a tough year. Um, so at the same time, yeah, I was going through that and it was yeah full time master. So it was a heavy workload as yeah. well. So anyway, you get through these things. You do what you have to do. Well, not everybody does. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> some people would say, look, I'm going to park the, ma- the masters yeah. for the moment. I can revisit that. But you decided not. I'm going to keep trucking. I just did everything. Yeah, wow. I was lucky. I have a very supportive GP who was brilliant. So I'd go to her probably twice a week um, with a list of tests I had to get done. And she'd say, OK, you can do this, this and this. I remember once having to bring a blood sample to the virology um, lab at UCD because it was quicker than hiring a courier to bring us, you know, things like that. She was great at knowing where to send things, how to do them privately so they'd be kind of quickened up. We got it all done in the end and... Um, then the contracts were signed to us, were sent to us, and we went through them and signed them with the help of a lawyer again. Um, so the whole process, yes, as I said, took the best part of a year. But we got the contract signed on the eleventh of the eleventh, two thousand and eighteen, which I thought was a nice yeah. date. Are you into numbers? I am. I'll tell you why again in a sec. Yeah. Um. So we got them signed, and the clinic couldn't have been. Better. I mean, I find them incredibly professional, friendly. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, from a medical and legal perspective, you know, there were no surprises. There were no hidden costs. Everything was just laid out at the beginning. So mm. um, we were really impressed with them. And then the day, so January 2019, the day actually I handed in my master's was the day they found our surrogate. Oh, so, wow, sorry, I handed in my dissertation to end my master's. So I thought that's a nice yeah. sort of timeline, the end of one mm. part of my life and the beginning of another. So they found this um, lovely Ukrainian girl. And I suppose another aspect of what I liked about this clinic was that the surrogate mothers are very much looked after. Everybody is treated very well. Um, I did a good bit bit of research into that kind of aspect of things and nobody is exploited or, you know, taken advantage of. Everyone's kind of treated equally, both again from a medical, legal and financial perspective. That's important because I think there's a lot of misinformation or people make assumptions, particularly when they don't know the area very well. Mm. Um, If you're coming to the notion of surrogacy from not knowing much about it, you automatically, a lot of people do kind of think, well, there's exploitation going on. And, you know, this this woman was 25, is 25 um, Ukrainian. She has a daughter and a partner. And she felt that, you know, she was lucky enough to have a daughter herself. So she wants to be able to give back to somebody else. But also it's a way, you know, she was, say, paid on a monthly basis by us. So it's a way to stay at home with her young child, her two year old, while earning an income as well. So it's it suits a lot of um, women as well. Well, it's a very. Fu- I would imagine it's a very fulfilling thing to do. Mm. One aspect is the financial. So you're mm. you're it's 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 a, in a commas, a job, mm. but also you are then at the end of this process giving a couple the greatest gift mm. that that any human could ever give anyone else, which is quite something. And she's, you know, I've stayed in touch with her. I've only, I was only chatting to her last week on um, WhatsApp and she texts me every month when Sophia turns, you know, a new month and she just says, you know, it's the greatest gift. And, you know, I, I've thanked her, God, millions of times already. But yeah. she was so passionate about giving us the, the gift of a child. So, you know, for her, I think she found it very fulfilling and she had a very smooth pregnancy and she, she obviously had an easy pregnancy with her own daughter and felt like it was it was something she'd like to do again. She she's one of these people who enjoys pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they found her at the in the middle of January 2019 and it was very quick then. She was um, obviously tested and she had to go through a lot of the root, routine tests and blood tests and everything. So we went over then to Kiev around the beginning of February um, 2019 and stayed there for three weeks. I just did the whole stimulation injections. Um, we actually had a nice time. I look back and it was a lovely time. You know, we stayed in central Kiev and it's such a, a lovely city to explore. Okay. It was lovely and snowy and mm. kind of magical. And um, I suppose it was an exciting uh, point as well it for you guys. Was. knowing, Yeah. And it was the point where we'd been imagining for a long mm. time ever since, um, you know, it taken a year to get to that point. So did all the injections, everything was fine. I think the day before I had the procedure there was, I mean, anyone who's done an egg stimulation procedure will know it is quite uncomfortable. And I was waddling around, bloated out like I had bags of marbles in my stomach. 
Um, so it's quite an unusual sort of sensation. But in a way, I look back at that time in a fond way again, because I thought, yeah, I could feel Sophia, you know, oh, wow, yeah. the egg that became the embryo that became Sophia. I carried her. I could feel them. I could, you know, I was bloated out. I could feel the, the discomfort. So I feel like in a, it was a tangible way of kind of feeling that she was in me for that time. I know she's been in me for my whole life, yeah. which is a lovely way to think about yes, it, it as is. well. But it was a much more sort of physical way of knowing she was in there. And that was important to you, I would imagine. After everything yeah. and knowing, yeah. you know, like because it is a huge step as well to go down the surrogacy route. Yeah. So, yeah, you, I suppose that was, um, it was, that was uh, quite healing, I would imagine. It was. Making that connection. And once we obviously had a successful pregnancy outcome, I looked back and thought, yeah, I carried her as well for a few days. Yeah. Um, you know, in that kind of way. Yeah. So anyway, I had the egg retrieval procedure and we were lucky. We got 23 eggs, 20 of which fertilized. Um, And we were lucky with the amount of embryos we got. So it was all kind of successful in that regard. And then um, they do the genetic testing just to make sure that genetically the embryo is a high chance of uh, implantation. Then from that point, we just went home and a couple of weeks later, then the surrogate went in and um, had her procedure to implant. um, We implanted two embryos, actually, um, because that's what they recommend in case one doesn't take, which happens in our case. And then it was just a waiting game, really. It was obviously for any woman waiting to find out um, if they're pregnant, you know, that two week wait. Time is very slow. Yes. So that happened in March last year. Um, And on the 26th of March, we got the email to say that the pregnancy had worked and she was pregnant and the HCG levels were looking very good. So then, so that was great. So then we had to wait another couple of weeks until early April to get the first scan, which is just I think six week three day scan and we saw a picture of this tiny little bean with a beating heart so that was a, a big moment yeah um and then from then I was I was a bag of nerves actually until about 26 weeks um I just thought every email I got because I was so conditioned to expect miscarriage from myself that it's so hard to believe that something actually could be real you know, could be happening for you and this might actually be a success. So every time I got a phone call and email, I jumped thinking, oh, no, it's bad news. But no, it just um, we got scans at the beginning every two weeks. So it was incredible to see it grow, you know, from the six weeks, to the eight weeks to 10 weeks. And then the 12 week one came in again. Actually, I was at work all day um, doing a press day with Tan Organic. And at lunchtime, the, the first proper picture of our baby came in and it was like I had to go to the bathroom and have a little moment you know a few tears and um, then put got the head together and kind of focus um so you know it was it was a very special time actually looking back even though I was full of anxiety about um the outcome but yeah and then it just continued um on the 11th of June actually 11 again mm. we found out that we were having a girl which was lovely. And I, Wes and I went over to my parents' house and I made a cake and in the middle, so I, I didn't tell Wes or my parents what we were having. And I put lots of pink sprinkles inside the cake and brought it over and we had a bottle of champagne and I got, I got them to cut the cake and, you know, we did the gender reveal that way. So oh, that was lovely. Special. Um, and then, yeah, and then it was this day last year, the 11th of 
July that we got to the 20 week mark. Oh, um, was it? Yeah. So that was another kind of special day. And then it sort of just continued. I mean, it was a smooth experience for, for both us and the surrogate. She had a, a smooth, easy pregnancy. Um, I'd love to talk about numbers at this point, purely because it's interesting because I'm a big believer in um, in divine timing and everything mm, has its time and a place. Sometimes I'm kind of getting goosebumps when you're saying that about the 11th of July, because here we are recording this chat yeah. on the 11th of July. And then, sorry, just to jump in there again, the 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 doctor told us then to come over. So she was due, I think, on the 28th of November. But the doctor said, look, I think she might be born earlier. Um, You probably will need to come over a couple of weeks earlier because um, the surrogate gave birth to her daughter at 38 weeks. So he he felt like it could be a repeat Mm. situation. So he looked at the dates and thought, "Okay, the earliest Sophia could be born is around the 15th of um, November. So we need to get over on the 11th of November. Okay. (laughs) The day we flew to Kiev was the 11th of the 11th. Right. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I just thought, wow, this is pretty interesting. And then the day she was born was, and I love meeting people who sort of have the same feeling about numbers. Yeah. But the day she was born was the 21st of the 11th, 19. So when you write it down, it's 21, 1, 1, 1, 9. So it comes yeah. to 11, 11 again when you write it down. So I don't know. There were just these little coincidences that made me think yeah this is the right baby for us it's the right time it's the right journey for us it was Um, all leading to this point yeah and Mm. that kind of gave us a lot of peace as well that we you know we thought it was the right thing but just to go back sorry to the pregnancy a lot of people have asked me how you, you deal with knowing that there's a stranger in a different country carrying your baby and for the most part I just focus in the clinic was great because they just focused on the medical side. You get your medical reports, your scan images every couple of weeks or every month, and you don't find out that much about the surrogate. We hadn't met her. We didn't, we only knew kind of her name and very bare details. You know, obviously that she doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so they're very good in kind of separating the human from the medical side, which I really appreciated kind of looking back because mm. it got to about August last year probably the same week actually we did the Galway races and I, yeah. I said to them oh she, you know she was about 24 weeks at this stage and I said oh I'd love to see a picture of the bump and just to kind of put it maybe a face to what I'm seeing and so I was sent a bump picture and it was it was lovely to see but it just brought up so many unexpected emotions in me where I thought you know this woman as grateful as I am to her is experiencing growing my my child and feeling her kicks and you know feeling everything that goes with pregnancy whether it's good or bad um and you know I then began thinking you know what is she doing every day is she going out to the park with her daughter what do her friends and family think what does her partner think you know do they feel the kicks every evening on her belly you know how is she feeling does she enjoy growing this life and it just brought up so many sort of human emotions that I did not expect and I hadn't prepared myself for and I I didn't particularly like either um I have to say so from then on I just said no just leave the 
the pictures behind and we'll just concentrate on the scans and that made it a lot easier so but I can imagine that anyone in your situation would would, would that would bring it would be triggering it would be triggering after all you'd gone through did you yeah. did you talk to anyone did you did you do any counselling around that time I didn't I didn't do any counselling actually throughout the whole process and maybe I should have actually looking back because I was offered it in one of the clinics I was in but I suppose I was doing so much kind of work on myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Emotionally and doing And you were talking to your friends and talking family Talking is yeah. a big thing. So yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. like I was probably getting through it okay without counselling. Um, but, you know, for, for different people, it's different though. I mean, you know, if you were going through surrogacy and you um, say we're doing altruistic surrogacy, which I, I don't know an awful lot about, but if you had sort of... Um, met and got to know the surrogate and um, I think it works that the surrogate chooses you um, okay. in a way um, then you kind of get to know the person involved and you're with them you're it's there for a lot of the scans and it's I suppose a different type of process mm. but for us we felt the best type of approach would just be you know concentrate on the medical side and leave the human element mm. out and I think generally everybody is happier working you know that that sort of commercial surrogacy everybody is wor- happier just working that way um, and it just leaves a clear line then between you know the human and mm. the medical side though saying that um you know I have as I said kept in touch with um our surrogate and I'm glad we have now but during the pregnancy it was much easier yeah just yeah to, yeah, yeah. To and not. I suppose that's it every couple if they do decide to go down the surrogacy route will will feel what's right for them yeah. and there are there are options available I suppose it's about doing your research mm. it's so hard to know where to begin you mm. know as I said um yeah speaking to a lawyer is probably the best first step you can do yeah mm. but you did meet her we did so we headed over as I said to Kiev in November and that week we so there are no signs of any labor starting so we went to kind of her last big scan um so say we flew flew over on the monday it was the thursday we went in and we went to the hospital and really impressive brand new maternity hospital and it's all you know highly kind of very well run so we were impressed with that and we were told to wait in a room with the pregnancy coordinator and then um, the surrogate walked in and I don't know, I, I didn't know how I could prepare myself for, for meeting the woman carrying your baby, but I somehow held it together. I thought I'd be in floods of tears on the floor, but actually I was so kind of overwhelmed with, I don't know, shock or surprise that we were suddenly in this situation and she was standing there in front of me and she was probably nervous as well about meeting us. Um, we went in anyway to the, the scan room and um, we heard Sophia's heartbeat for the first time. Um, so yeah, through all the scans, we hadn't been able to hear the heart. Mm. So I did break down a little bit. There was something in my eye then. <laughs> yeah, it's a, oh, it's a it's a huge moment. Yeah, isn't it? it was hearing, amazing. Hearing the heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, we had the scan, and then we it was lovely because we were able to go into a sort of lounge area and chat um, to the surrogate for a while, ask her anything we wanted to know, and she'd said that uh, Sophia was particularly active from midnight onwards. <laughs> so we thought, oh great, we've got a night owl. <laughs> she was a night owl for months. Yeah. Um. So it's just amazing to, you know, finally meet her and he- hear all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was we left feeling very positive about it and very excited 
Um, Good. So it was a positive. It was a very positive experience. experience. I'm glad. So then it was, yeah, exactly a week later, we had walked the length and breadth of Kiev, eaten at every restaurant, you know, (laughs) drank God knows how many cups of coffee and trying to pass the time. And I got the call, um, I was just out of the shower actually on Thursday morning, the 21st, and I got the call from the pregnancy coordinator to say, come to the hospital, she's having contractions every 60 seconds, you know, it's happening. And we were warned that she'd had a quick labour with her daughter, so it could happen again. Mm -hmm. You know, she's one of these people who pops them out. So, um, yeah rushed you know wet hair we'd already had our hospital bag packed yeah um our you know our our bag of baby bits Mm. so just grabbed that grabbed um an uber over to the hospital and we ended up having about an hour so we checked in to our kind of room in the hospital um and got ourselves sorted put on scrubs you know, I had a chance to dry my hair and make myself <laughs> a bit presentable for meeting my daughter. And we went up and um, they waited just until Sophia was crowning to to allow us in and walked in. And God, I just, I think the, the longer I, I know Sophia and she's in her life, the more I'm amazed that I got to watch her birth. Because I suppose at the time it was the most overwhelming, emotional, dramatic, exciting, incredible experience. But it's changed now because we know her and we love her to bits. So it's even more special now yeah. that she's in our lives. Um, but yeah, so I was able to, we were able to watch her being born. Um, she came out and I, you know, I cut the cord and I turned to the surrogate and she, the poor thing was exhausted, of course, as you would be. But um, I just, I was bawling, crying, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so it was a, a very sort of emotional moment of course and then Sophia was just handed to us I mean obviously they weighed her and cleaned her and did all the measurements and all the tests that babies get when they're born but then she we were brought into a different room and um we had come prepared wearing kind of vest kind of things so I could like I was wearing a sports bra so I could just yeah pop off my top and um, pop her on my chest and do skin to skin and that was lovely so again it was just a very surreal experience I think we had put so much um, time and effort and emotion and everything into the whole process that and um, we had invested so much already that, um, you know, it was a yeah, just very special moment. And, you know, as I said, thinking back on it now feels it just feels increasingly special as Sophia's in our lives longer because we've obviously totally bonded with her now and we know her and she's our little girl and we love her so much. Because obviously at the time when a baby was born, you haven't done that bonding process. Yeah, you haven't been through it. And, you know, I thought, OK, this is my daughter and I, I love her, of course, but I don't know her yet. Yeah, of course. So and it's, it's the same for everyone. And, yeah. and and it grows and grows and grows yeah. and it gets stronger and stronger. That love and that bond, just it just it just it just grows. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah, it really does. Which is great. Yeah. So she's seven and a half months now. Seven and a half months, full of personality. I think she rules the house. She thinks she's the queen of the world, um, which is very much allowed. Yes. Um, she, we have two little Pomeranian dogs and she adores them. She just grins at them all day. She thinks they're hilarious. And, she's, and how have they taken to her? 
they sort of just <laughs> yeah she's there they're they, not jealous they're, no they're fine um, I think they'll have great fun when she's running around yeah and she's able to play with them but she's yeah she's a great little character she's very particular about um, her routine which is actually great for us you know so she has to have her nap at one she has to be in bed at half seven or else she's not very happy with us um, you know she if her dinner her solids aren't kind of in front of her at six you know she's she lets you know know. yeah so (laughs) so we're lucky we have a good baby who sleeps although in the last three weeks she's um started this thing of waking up at around three or four in the morning and just wanting a little chat and a cuddle oh and you're like okay trying to yeah okay we don't need to have the chats now yeah, we try not <laughs> to. to sleep. We, like, we don't turn on the light. We keep it dark. We try not to make any noise. We're, we're like, if we just ignore her. She'll go back to sleep. So, um, but apart from that, she is great, and she's yeah. um, she's great fun and very like Wes in a lot of ways, personality wise. Well, me too, I suppose. But um, I see lots of traits in her that I know of. You know, you know that I know that he has. Yeah, isn't it amazing mm. how quickly the personality, the little, the little quirks. Sorry for the, for the yeah. pun, pun intended, not intended. <laughs> Start to kind of show themselves, present yes. themselves. Yeah. yeah, very funny. So coming home uh, from Kiev mm. when she was just a small little baby and I suppose introducing her to your to your family. Oh, that must have been so powerful and, and so satisfying. It was. Um, well, my mom had been over with us in Kiev, so we got yeah. into we landed in Dublin airport and it was just, you know, it was couple of weeks before Christmas so it was all beautifully lit up and decorated and my dad was waiting for us um, in arrivals and you know it was a, an emotional moment when he met his granddaughter for mm. the first time it was it was lovely of course she was fast asleep she didn't <laughs> see anything but we have it on video and then we you know got into the car got home and well Wes and I had left the house set up anyway with the changing table cot you know all the all the bits kind of set up, but his mum had come in when we were away and put up a, a Christmas tree, decorated oh. it with lights and then put up all these banners and balloons saying, you know, welcome home. And it's just the whole place looked gorgeous, mm. um, had the heating on, <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, it was just a lovely welcome home. So our two families then spent um, an hour or so just in our house, you know, just welcoming us home and meeting Sophia yeah and um, so it was yeah it was amazing and it was lovely to get home just before Christmas um because we had a few weeks then of just um visitors which <laughs> it's great to have visitors but not when you've had two hours sleep <laughs> yeah I, I'm I'm quite passionate about yeah. the whole visitor thing I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it in the beginning yeah it so is we were tough. we were <laughs> I was quite like, no, can we just limit that in the beginning? And I'm so glad we did because yeah. you don't get those days back. Yeah. And for those who may be listening, who, have, you know, are, are, are on the journey to ha- having having their first baby, major bit of advice is keep them at bay if you can for those early weeks. Because I, I mean, yeah. as you said, you're getting to know this new little human that's come into your world. You want to mm. get to know them. You want to be able to do skin to skin. You want mm. that comfort and that privacy yeah. as you as a family or whatever the, the dynamic is. Yeah. It's really important. Well, we were lucky, I suppose, because we had two weeks after she was born, just yeah. um, was me and my mum and Sophia in Lovely. Kiev in the apartment. And it was just our time. Obviously, there was no one bothering us. We didn't mm. know anyone there. Yeah. We just, you know, had that time with her. It was like baby boot camp for us as well, because we didn't know that much about caring for newborns when she was born. And my mum, you know, baby mad. Um, she's obviously had three babies herself. So, yeah, 
um, she kind of taught us everything we needed to know at that stage. So it was a lovely kind know, of time. Yeah. And nobody ever has a clue. How, like, Because no. if you haven't done it before, how would you know? Yeah. Um, and it's hardcore. And uh, let's be honest, oh, it is, yeah. the lack of sleep, the, you know, waking every two, three hours. I mean, yeah. it's 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 amazing how quickly you forget as time mm. moves on when you're in it. It feels like you'll never, ever forget it. Yeah. But I think I've spoken to a lot of people who you just do. I think it's probably a part of human biology. It's a coping. You got to you kind of forget it. You do. It. You really yeah. do. Um, a lot of my friends say they can't even remember the first few months of their baby's lives because they're just in a haze of exhaustion. Yeah. But at the time you do cope, whether it's with caffeine or just pure mm-hmm. adrenaline getting you through. Um, but you do sort of adapt to having four or five hours sleep a night as well. Broken yeah. sleep. Um, you know, I, I found we did and we kind of got on with our, our lives as much as we could with Sophia. Mm. And Wes had to go back to work. And um, as I said, you know, it was nice to have visitors, but it was a nice time of year as well, because then we could really just hibernate for January and February. And then as it turned out, March, April, May. Mm, I know. <laughs> but, um, so you've had that quiet time. We've over had the lots past of quiet family time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I actually I'm looking back on lockdown now um, in quite a grateful, well, very grateful way because, you know, we we had that time as a family um, Wes obviously had to close his business and he was just at home with us and despite obviously all the terrible anxiety and sadness in the outside world we felt sort of safe in our little bubble at home and it was lovely just to have that time together and Mm. babies changed so much within a few months so we do look back on photos now from sort of the start of March and see how much he's changed in that time and when you're I think living it every day and seeing them every day, you don't notice the changes happening until you look back. Yeah. So, yeah, I we had a quite a nice experience of lockdown. And I have to say I relaxed for the, the first time in probably years. And really just it was lovely not having to set the alarm in the morning and um, just to be able to sleep as much as we wanted mm. to, go for naps. Yeah. Um, enjoy the good weather. We had lots of barbecues outside. Yeah. Obviously, missing our families was a big thing, but, um, you know, we did a lot of FaceTimes and Zooms and that kind of thing. Yeah, because your brothers are in London, is it? Two brothers in London, yeah, yeah. with their partners. So um, so do you did the Zoom calls? Did a lot of them, yeah. yeah. I think everybody went through a spell of it. We did seven weeks in a row of the family quiz. And then one week just, it passed and it's like nobody wants to mention it. <laughs> It's like, are we done with the Zoom calls? But we loved them. They it were great cracks. It was kind of like they were of their time. Yeah, <laughs> I think April was the, the probably well second half of March and April was probably the height of the Zoom chats. And yeah. then they petered off. They, of they did. They did. <laughs> so I know you've spoken about this before because otherwise I probably wouldn't ask this question because I don't think it's appropriate. But you have spoken about your desire to perhaps uh, expand the family, grow the family in time. Mm. Yeah, um, hopefully at some point we will, I think plans for a lot of people have been put on hold this year because of the mm. virus and we certainly don't feel comfortable with going ahead with anything at the moment yeah. because of just the uncertainty of not knowing what will happen this year. Um, you pr- probably or maybe saw these stories in the news over the last few months of babies being stranded in mm. Ukraine um, because their their parents weren't able to get to them. Oh, that's after they were born by surrogacy. Yeah, okay. We just feel so incredibly grateful again for the timing of Sophia's birth, um, because you know we got in a few months before this all kicked off, and mm. I just can't imagine how difficult and traumatic it must be for parents not able to get over and meet their babies and look after them. So, um, we just don't feel 
I guess, confident enough at this point in time that things yeah. will improve as yeah, much yeah, yeah. as we want them to this year. So you're right to just enjoy her yeah. and and look, uh, we're all in the same boat in terms of until there's a vaccine, until we have more information. It's mm. we're all just kind of getting by and and trying to adapt as we yeah. go. Our new normal. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, in terms of surrogacy in Ireland, we are in a strange kind of limbo where it's legal and yet it's not legal. Mm. You initially had to apply to be Sophia's mother. So it wasn't a clear cut. So Wes was was recognised from the get go, from the moment of her yeah. birth. But yet for you, it took some time. Yeah, I mean, that's where um, it's really important to work with a lawyer who knows the laws in Ireland and Ukraine or wherever you're working from, you know, whatever country you go to inside out. Yeah. Because you do really want someone who can just get through the process for you as efficiently and quickly as possible. Yeah. And we... Yeah, I'm delighted to say we finished up the process um, in the courts at the beginning of March. So we got in just before um, this all kicked off and we've actually just applied for Sophia's passport last week. So, um, you know, she's an Irish citizen, um, you know, we're a family and um, yeah, we're just grateful that it all sort of happened (laughs) timing wise at a good time. And, um, you know, we can suppose move on as a family now. Yeah. Uh, thank you for this conversation. I know it'll be of huge comfort and massively informative for people who are possibly exploring other options. Well, I would say to people, you know, as we did, um, we were initially freaked out at the idea of surrogacy, but ended up having a truly positive experience um, and obviously a, a successful outcome. Mm. And it's absolutely the best decision we've ever made and it took yeah. a long time to get to that decision so I would say to people you know don't be scared of it it's a perfectly feasible obviously financially challenging route but yeah that's something um, we didn't talk about because obviously the cost can be a big factor mm. for people too um, but I mean I suppose if you go down the route of of uh, you know fertility investigations yeah. or IVF unfortunately you know, the business side of things, the money side of things, it is difficult and it can it can be an option for some people and not for others, yeah. depending on what and they I'm can afford. Sensitive to that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I have friends who've been through kind of six, eight rounds of IVF and that can really add up as well. So none of it is particularly, um, you know, cheap in that way. But I guess we had the attitude that it would be the best investment we'd ever make. And, you know, you can make money back over time, but, you know, you won't always have the chance to have a child if that's what you really want. Mm. So we just felt it was the right thing at the right time for us. So, yeah, I would say to people, do your research, be um, very particular about who you work with and make sure you get the very best medical and legal advice that you can for yourself. Um, and go for it if it's really what you want, because um, we're a success story. <laughs> and you sure are. It would be gorgeous to share with Sophia in time, you know, all of those scan images and, mm. and her journey into the world and how loved she has been from the get go. As you spoke about, like, you know, doing the injections and feeling that bond from with her from from mm. the beginning. I mean, she was so desired, loved, wanted for a long, long time. Absolutely. Um, she she probably knows already how loved she is. But yeah. um, someday I'll have the conversation with her and tell her how she came into the world. And I suppose I'm fascinated now by the idea of the maternal lineage where 
um, you know, our, our eggs are developed when we're still in the womb. So yes. our grandmothers um, carried our mothers who carried our the beginnings of us kind of thing. And, you know, while I didn't get the chance, obviously, to carry Sophia, I do feel like she's been a part of me for my whole life. Um as a little egg. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> so beautiful. It amazing. I, re- I remember seeing an image. I think there's a there's an animation that depicts that mm. as you just spoke about mm. the, you know, like, the, you know, the yeah. mother, you as a little egg inside of your mommy yeah, and the mommy inside of the grandmother. And it's yeah. like it's it's a real like, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. when you see it like it that. really is. Mm. Um, so that's given me a lot of comfort to know that she's actually been a part of me um, for forever, forever. Yeah. And a part of my mum. Yeah. So it's it is lovely. Gorgeous. Rosie, thank you, darling, so much. Um, this has been a very, a very real conversation. And uh, and I know it's it's going to be a comforting one and a healing one for a lot of people. I hope so, because that's really the reason why we shared our story and and shared it in so much detail. Because if, if we can help even one couple to have a successful outcome through surrogacy or through through fertility, whatever journey you're on, I think, um, it's, you know, the best thing you can do is to to help someone through your experiences. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Rosanna really is an amazing person, isn't she? And I wish her and her family all the love in the world. If this conversation resonated with you, please do share it with friends and family. And if you can, take a moment to rate, review and hit subscribe on this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.